Once upon a time, there was a farmer who worked his crop for many years, and one day his horse ran away, and so his neighbors came to him and said, oh, what horrible luck. Now you can't produce a good crop, and the farmer said, we'll see. Next day, um, to his surprise, his horse came back and brought with him two more horses, and so now he had three horses to um, produce his crop, and so the neighbors came back to him and said, oh, what favor, this is, this is great news, and the farmer said, We'll see. Later that day, his younger son was trying to ride the untamed horse, and he was bucked off, and he fell off, and he broke his leg. Neighbors came to him, and they said, oh, no. Now you're going to have to do all this crop and, you know, harvesting all by yourself. You know, what, what horrible luck. Farmer said, we'll see. A week later, the military came into the town, and they were recruiting all young men to be part of the army. But when they saw that the farmer's son's leg was broke, they passed over him. Neighbors came, and they said, wow, Lord's favor must be upon you. What, what good luck, you know, what, what blessing, what, what provision in God's care. The farmer said, we'll see. The moral of the story to this is that sometimes we just jump to conclusions. Sometimes we just assume that our situation is a lost cause, and so we just throw in the towel and we just give up. But we cannot always come to the conclusion that something is bad or good. Only time will tell. We'll see. You see, while we can't always control what happens to or around us, we can change our perspective on the situation. We can take a step back, which changes our attitude and our responses to hopefully be more hopeful and optimistic about our situations. We'll see what God will do. Our topic today is hope in God. Hope in God. And so if I was to ask you what is hope, most people understand hope as just kind of wishful thinking, you know, a wish upon a star, or I hope I don't run out of gas. You know, with my, you know, uh, what was going on this weekend. Um, I, I, hope, I hope that I get the job. But that is not what the Bible means by hope. A biblical definition of hope is this. A biblical definition of hope is confident expectation regarding things that are unknown or unclear to us, but known to an all-powerful and loving God. His ways and his thoughts are higher than our own. He is the everlasting God, the creator of all the universe. And he is still in control, and we can trust him. You see, biblical hope speaks of something that is certain, but maybe not fully realized in our life. We see this in the most famous pastor of scripture, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. It's this idea that what saves a person is faith in Jesus. And we have a confident expectation that if we're in right standing with Jesus, if he is Lord and Savior of my life, one day I will be with him in heaven for all eternity. You see, for the Christian, we have hope about our situations because we have an amazing God. Great as our Lord and most worthy of praise, his greatness no one can fathom. 
a God that for whom nothing is impossible with. Great as our Lord and mighty in power, his understanding has no limit. A God who is fully trustworthy, faithful, loving, reliable, and his plans are always good. God is good all the time. It's not just what he does, it's who he is. God is good. And because of who God is, there are no hopeless situations, but hopeful solutions in God's power. There is always a reason to be hopeful and optimistic. When God is involved, we will see what God will do. And so let me ask you, are you overwhelmed? Are you tired? Do you feel weak? Are you confused about your situations? Maybe for you personally, maybe somebody that you know in your life. There is a true and a lasting hope that is available and will not deplete during hard and difficult times, but can actually strengthen us to persevere through uncertain times. Our passage of scripture is found in Romans 15, 13. Just one verse would pack full of so much truth of who our God is. And this is it. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And Lord, we declare in this time and in this place that you are hope. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would inspire and grow hope within us. Help us, Lord, to keep our eyes and our thoughts fixed on you. And we thank you, Lord, for what you are doing, even when we can't see it, even when we can't feel it. We believe that one day, Lord, we will see all things that you have done for us. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul has experienced God's hope in his life, and he was positive that God could use both the good and the bad situations in his life, ultimately for his glory. And he prays for the Christians in Rome that they would experience this hope that he has experienced in their life, that God, the source and the giver of hope, would fill all aspects of their life as they trust in God. And so for the Christian, there's a tremendous reason to be hopeful and optimistic about our, about our situations because, this is our first point, that true hope is found in God. True hope. True hope is found in God. You see, hope is the anticipation for better days ahead. And so if we were to just take a step back and just kind of examine our own life, if I was to ask you, you know, where do you look for hope? Where do you look for hope? You know, what would be maybe some of your initial thoughts or, or where you go? Most often, you know, people maybe, you know, look for hope in people or places or things. But the reality is that objects break, substances, they run out, and people disappoint, and they ultimately pass away. But true hope is found in God, who remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He doesn't break, he doesn't run out, and he does not pass away. He remains the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. 
Our hope is rooted in God who's able to provide better days both in the present and in the future. And I came across this quote and it went something like this. Don't let your situations change how you view God, but let God change how you view your situations. Let me say that again. Don't let your situations change how you view God, but let God change how you view your situations. That whatever you're experiencing, there is a hope that God provides to get us through difficult days. We can be optimistic. We can be positive. We can say, we'll see what God will do because our assurance is in his power that he is able to provide better days both now and in the future. And so notice how Paul in our pastor's scripture, the first part of verse, eight, verse 13, describes God. How does Paul describe God? He says, may the God of, what is this word? Hope. It comes from the Greek word elpis, which means confidence, expectation, to anticipate what is good. Paul uses this title to remind us that God is both the source as well as the object of our hope. God's thinking and his character is always hopeful. He's always positive. He's always looking at what is best and what can be from the situation. And he gives hope. He inspires optimism within his children to those who look to him first. You see, hope is both a gift from God and the natural result of trusting in him. Hope is both a gift from God and the natural result of trusting in him. True hope is found in God because God keeps his word. True hope is found in God because God keeps his, world, keeps his word. You see, in a world that makes empty promises, in a world that lies, in a world that shares partial truths, we can find hope in God because he's powerfully able to do what he says. Romans 4.21 says, being fully persuaded that God is able to do whatever he promises. Fully persuaded fully convinced, optimistic, and hopeful that God is powerfully able to do whatever he promises. And I wonder if one of the reasons why people are so skeptical is because we've been lied to so many times. I wonder if the reason why we often keep people at arm's length because they may have a hidden agenda. Uh, maybe they're really just out for themselves. Maybe they're just putting on a good show, but really they're just lying straight through with their teeth. A number of years ago, I had an experience in my life where somebody spoke pretty rudely to me, and it really hurt. I was, I was really defeated and, and destroyed and just felt like just not going any further. At the time, I told the person that was in charge what had happened to, uh, and what the person had said to me, and they indicated and they said that they would talk to the person. And so I trusted them that, you know, that they would... <laughs> The running joke in the office is tender jetty, and so, you know, you know tender jetty, you know, compassionate jetty. You know. Unfortunately, I can tell you because I know that the conversation never happened. I can tell you with confidence the conversation never happened. And unfortunately, the person did not keep their word. The result? I had little hope in the leader to do what was right, and their word was useless. 
I came across this quote, and it said, when you say you will do something and don't do it, you teach others, including yourself, that you can't be trusted. You see, keeping our word is more than just doing what we say we will do. It's about showing others that we have their back, and it builds credibility and trust that you are a person of integrity. And so why do I share that experience? I don't share that experience to embarrass the, the leader, but failing to keep our word indicates a character problem, and it kind of devalues other people. That every time that we don't follow through on our word, it negatively affects us. It, it's this idea that, you know, I can do whatever I want. You know, if I don't want to do that, even though I said I would, that doesn't matter. I'm Lord of my own life. And it affects how others view us, that we're not trustworthy or credible. You see, keeping our word is linked to trust. And it's this idea that we can put our hope in God because our confidence is in his faithfulness to powerfully keep his word. Why can we have hope in God? Because God is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And not only is he faithful, but he's powerfully able to do whatever he says. God is 100% dependable and trustworthy. Psalm 145, 13 says, The Lord is trustworthy in all he promises and faithful in all that he does. And how much clearer can we get in God's word in Hebrews 6, 18, where it says, It is impossible for God to lie. It is impossible for God to lie. One of the examples of God's faithfulness to keep his word is in the life of Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons said, Father Abraham. God had promised to Abraham that he would become a great nation, his name would be great, and he would have many descendants. Genesis 12, 2 and 26, 4. And Abraham saw many of God's promises come true. You know, he, God even said, you'll have as many descendants as the stars are in the sky. Abraham saw many of God's promises come true. He saw the promised land, and, and he saw descendants starting to come from, come from him. But the book of Hebrews gives insight to Abraham's character. In our next, next slide, it says in Hebrews, and so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. Patiently. For God to keep his word. Not our timeline, his timing. This word patience, which helps us when you look at the Greek word, it gives a better understanding. It means long-suffering, forbearance, endurance. But it also means to not lose heart and don't give up on God, which includes not retaliating in anger because God's timeline doesn't match up with ours. Our limited perspective to God's complete perspective. You see, Abraham needed to be patient in his situation and during his struggles while waiting for God to fulfill and to keep his promises. It was 25 years that he saw one of God's promises come true, that he had a son. It was 40 years of waiting patiently that Abraham eventually reached the promised land. And it's this idea that if God is having us wait, 
if God is growing patience within us, maybe he's trying to teach us to slow down. Take a breath. Maybe he's teaching us to trust and to keep our eyes on him. But during those times of waiting, he's also inspiring hope within us, a confident expectation that God's plans are always good. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says, He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. The word wait is actually, the, Greek, the Hebrew understanding is hope. It's not just sitting back and doing nothing, but we're expecting, we're hopeful that God is doing incredible good things to anticipate what is good. So what does this mean for us today? Well, here is some hope. For those who look to God, they will be helped. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and of earth. Psalm 121. 1. Psalm 121 invites us to consider the source of our help. To speak it is just one thing, but to believe it, it's something completely different. The psalmist assures us that when we pray in Jesus' name, that we do not walk alone. The maker of heaven and of earth goes with us. We will be helped, those who put their hope in God. Those who put their hope in God will not be disappointed. And hope does not lead to disappointment. That those who put their hope in God will never ultimately be disappointed or let down. God's help may not come in the way that we thought he should or in the manner or in the time that we thought he should, but it's always exactly what we needed. It's always exactly what we needed. You see, God's hope rises in the midst of disappointments. This kind of hope is found not in the avoidance of suffering, but it's working through it because Romans 5 through 5 says suffering produces perseverance, Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Perseverance, suffering produces perseverance, character, and hope. And those who put their hope in God are ultimately bold in their faith. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. That boldness is tied to our convictions and our beliefs. We can only be truly bold about something if we really believe what we say we believe. Those who put their hope in God can be, can be bold because God will help me and it will be good. God will help me, and it will be good. When we put our hope in God and believe he's faithful, that God keeps us, he keeps us from hopeless despair because we're not just wishful thinking, but we're confidently expecting that he is working out a plan ultimately for our good. And it's this idea that it's our foundation that keeps us from crumbling. It's our foundation that keeps us from crumbling. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, 27, for those who hear what I'm saying, but those who really apply what I'm saying, they're building their life upon the solid rock, that when the storms of life come, they will not fall, but they will stand strong and firm because they're building their life upon Jesus, the solid rock. But Jesus also said, for those who do not do what I say, for those who do not hear what I'm saying, when the storms of life come, they will fall with a great crash because they did not listen or do what I said. 
It's this idea that it's our foundation that keeps us from crumbling. And so who do you put your hope in? Where do you look for hope? For those who put their hope in God, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. And we can believe, we will see that God is good and there is hope. Our second point is this. Hope is experienced as we trust in God. Hope is experienced as we trust in God. You see, trust is the firm belief. It's the reliability. It's the truth. It's the ability, strength of someone or something. The classic example is you're putting your faith and your trust in the chair that you're sitting right in. You know, that, that it'll be strong, you know, and it won't, it won't collapse. You know, faith and trust are interchangeable. Faith and trust are interchangeable. And you see, trusting God isn't just wishful thinking or based upon no event, evidence, but God asks us to trust him in three areas, his ability, his character, and his promise. God does not ask blind faith from us, but to trust his ability and his character and his promise. And when we do, we have hope for a brighter future. And so we trust God's ability. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God is omnipotent. He has limitless, limitless resources. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. When Jesus was in the garden, he said, don't you realize that I could call 72 thousand angels at my disposal and to come free me. Jesus has limitless resources. He healed a man named Lazarus who was dead in the grave for four days. He protected three boys in a fiery furnace because they stood up in faith that they would not bow to King Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus provided for 5,000 plus people with just two fish and five loaves of bread. We can trust God's ability because his resume is flawless. But we can also trust God's character. The fruits of the Spirit. What are God's character? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. It's one thing to have faith in someone that is strong, but if that person doesn't have a reputable character, they're not worthy of our trust. But God's character is trustworthy. He's patient, he's loving, he's kind, he's generous, he's faithful and just. Psalm 103, 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, but he's abounding in love. So we trust God's ability, his character, but we also trust God's promise. God never promised an easy and a wealthy life, but he did promise his presence. God did promise that he had already won before he was even dead on the, dead on the cross. He did promise that his grace is sufficient in every season of life. He promised that whenever you see a rainbow, that it was a promise that he would never flood the earth ever again. He promised that he would give wisdom through those who ask. And he promised that he would give assistance in temptation, that he would always provide a way out. We can trust God's ability, his character, and his promise. But I came across this quote, and it said this, Most people believe their doubts and doubt their beliefs. Most people believe their doubts and they doubt their beliefs. You see, if the devil can make us question, doubt God's ability, his character, his promise, we won't trust God. And I can give you all the reasons to trust God, but until you actually put it into practice in your life, we won't fully experience the hope God gives to those who trust him. 
You see, trust is difficult. But trust in God is not the absence of fear and doubts. But trust in God is choosing to believe that God is good. He is able to intervene. And his promises are trustworthy. Even though we may not know how things will work out, we can trust that God is good. And notice in our pastor's scripture, what the Apostle Paul says is the condition to experiencing God's hope. He says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. To have faith, confidence, to rely upon God. This is a verb. While it is God who provides hope, it's our continuing confidence of choosing to trust in God rather than ourself that we experience his hope, but also his joy and peace. This joy is different than happiness. Joy is not contingent upon our situations, but it's an inner contentment. It's a deep sense that all is right, all is good. God is in control. You see, the result of those who put their trust in God is joy, a cheerful heart. That's why you can look at some people that the, the world might be completely falling apart, but the joy of the Lord is their strength. They're believing in faith that God is still in control. Joyful people are positive about their situations, but there's also peace, peace that God can give to those who trust him. It's not a symbol. It's not a nice sunset, even those are all peaceful and, and niceful things, but this peace that God gives is assurance, confidence. It's being undisturbed in the storms of life. Unlike worldly peace, which is usually defined as the absence of conflict, God's peace is assurance that he's in control in the most troubling of times. And you see, too often, myself, I'm robbed of joy and peace in my life when I try and fix the problem. When I try and take control or hold on to things rather than release and give God control and trust him to let go, to let God. It's kind of like when Peter began to sink when he was focused on the problem, the wind and the waves, rather than keeping his eyes on Jesus. Where was Jesus? Well, Jesus was out in the storm, and Peter began to walk on the water, but when he saw the wind and the waves, when he took his eyes off of Jesus, the anxiety, the stress, the overwhelming just began to take over him, and he began to sink, and he yelled out, Lord, save me, and Jesus did save him. Jesus told Peter to come into the storm. And this teaches us that God won't remove every storm, but he can calm us. Jesus won't remove every situation, but he can assurance of his peace. He can calm us. And if we're being really honest, we're really the ones that need to be calm. The storms of life are a good reason to be stressed, but Jesus is bigger than our problems, and we can trust in him. Isaiah 26.3 says, You, Lord, will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And so turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. The reason we need to focus on God rather than our problems is because God is bigger than our problems and we can trust in him. And notice the amount of joy and peace that Paul prays for. He prays that God would fill you to capacity, this continual refilling. Therefore, if we're lacking in hope, joy, and peace, maybe we need to ask the question, when did we stop trusting in God? If we're lacking in hope, joy, and peace in our life, when did we stop trusting in God? When he asked us to do something and we said no. When we wanted to do something, but out of fear we backed away, but we didn't trust that God would be with us when he said that he would. You see, we can trust God because he sees things from an entirely different perspective than we do. And he invites us to trust him, even if we don't fully understand what's going on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. And the Lord gave me this insight, and maybe this might be helpful for the psalm, and it's this. Joy and peace is not contingent upon our surroundings as it is about our surrender to God. Joy, peace, and hope is not so much contingent upon our situations, whether things are going good or bad. Rather, joy and peace is really contingent upon our surrender, our trust in God. For some of us, we need to surrender our life to Jesus. For some of us, we need to surrender our situations to Jesus. And I've heard surrender described this way. Yield without resistance, trust without conditions, and obey without fully understanding. Yield without resistance, trust without conditions, and obey without fully understanding. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, when things are out of control, we try to take control instead of releasing and surrendering control to Jesus. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Be still. Wait. Let it go. And know is more than just comprehend, but it's action. It's trusting in God. Corrie Boom says, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, you don't just throw away the ticket and jump off the train. No, you sit still and you trust the engineer. You sit still, trust, let go to let God, and trust that he's in control. Our third and final point is this, that the more that we trust in God, the more we experience his hope, his joy, and his peace in our life. And it's this idea that hope comes in varying quantities from God. In the same way that you can have a glass empty, half full, full, or even overflowing, hope has quantities. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in the latter part of verse 13. He says, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The purpose of God filling us is to overflow hope to other people. You see, sometimes people can feed off of our hope and our joy and our peace. And we're calm, they can be calm too. But the opposite is also true. When we're frantic and when we're worried and when we're concerned, it heightens and it brings up the anxiety in the room. 
Therefore, it's important to know what we're allowing to fill us because it will spill out. And it's this idea that if you don't like what is being poured out, maybe we need to, next slide, change, change what we're pouring in. If you don't like what is pouring out of your life, maybe we need to change what we're pouring in. Because Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But King David also prayed, Lord, create in me a pure heart and renew a right spirit within me. And so for some of us, maybe we need to feed our faith and starve our doubts. For some of us, maybe we need to spend more time in God's word. For some of us, maybe we need to spend more time in prayer rather than just the latest gossip and posting things on Facebook. Maybe we need to spend more time with God. But notice the source of overflowing hope. It's produced by the power of the Holy Spirit. This word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means force, where we get the English word dynamite. It's God's strength to live a pure life and his enablement for effective service to share God, who is our hope. Remember, joy and peace are manifestations of the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Jesus said, whoever remains in me will bear much fruit. Whoever is connected to me will bear much fruit. And you see, our experience of overflowing hope is made possible by the Holy Spirit's power. You see, the Christian life is all about humbling ourselves. The Christian life is all about humbling ourselves because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. This hope is God's empowering. As we humble ourselves, the Holy Spirit manifests himself to a greater degree of his hope and his joy and his peace to overflow into other people's life. And so this closing story and illustration might be helpful, and it's this. What does a flashlight do? Not a trick question. You know, it, it guides, you know, it, it comforts. When I was little, I, I slept with a night light. You know, there was kind of like that comfort, you know. You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, you know. It helps to illuminate the darkness. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. But how effective is a light without the battery? Not at all. It, it doesn't accomplish what it was ultimately made for. You see, we need the source of power for the light to shine. You know, some lights flicker. Some lights burn out. Some lights are very brilliant. But the brightness of the light is contingent upon the connection to the power. This is the point. As we connect with God, he refills, he recharges, he strengthens our life to shine bright for good and for God. But it's all about connecting with God. Because Jesus said, when you connect with me, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father. God's light, his hope can shine bright through us as we connect with him. And so what does this mean for us today? Well, for some of us, you sense that your battery is a little bit drained. Maybe you're not very hopeful. And there is a solution. You can be refilled. You can be strengthened. 
you can shine bright for good and for God when we connect, spend time, trust God's ability, his character, and his promise because he is faithful. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for who you are. And God, I pray that for those that are experiencing situations in, our, in their life, Lord, where it looks pretty bleak and gloomy, Lord, I'm not undermining the emotions and the experiences with, with those situations, Lord, because they are real. But Lord, I believe you are more powerful. You are more able to do the impossible. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would shine your hope. I pray, Lord, that you would, you would remind us that you are trustworthy. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would infill us with your hope and your joy and your peace, that we may overflow with hope to those who desperately need it most, Lord. And we'll make sure to give you the thanks and praise that you're due. And all God's people said, amen.